Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. April 4 edition of the PFT PM Podcast. How you doing today? Wrapping up the day that was in the National Football League. A lot happened since we did this yesterday. You know, I try to time this thing so it hits your phones or other podcast listening devices around five. And the problem is sometimes things happen after I tape it. Case in point, the trade that sent Brandon Cooks from the Patriots to the LA Rams. I worked out yesterday afternoon and Contrary to popular belief, I do work out every day, pretty much every day, mainly cardio, a little strength training, not much. Got to be able to fit in my suits. That's my excuse, and I'm sticking with it. But I saw that the deal had gone down, Cooks to the Rams, and there were so many different layers and levels, and we tried to cover them all at PFT and during PFT Live on Wednesday, which, but for the Bill O'Brien interview that we had, was almost exclusively devoted to the... Brandon Cook's trade. One player it affects most directly is Odo Beckham Jr. because it takes the Rams out of the mix to trade for OBJ. Now, it still only takes two motivated teams to get a deal done. And really, it only takes one if the team that has OBJ, the New York Giants, is able to convince the team that wants him that the Giants will just keep him. You don't need to have two bidders to get your best value if you can convince one bidder that you're just not interested. Sometimes that's the best way to get the maximum value for any asset that you have. Sorry, I'm just keeping it. Not interested. So Beckham, still a giant. Mike Shula, the new offensive coordinator of the Giants under new head coach Pat Shermer. Stated the obvious on Wednesday. Vital part of the offense, yada, yada, yada. You have guys who can make plays, put points on the board, try to feature them as much as you can, yada, yada, yada. Right. Well, but it's not Shula who's making the decision on what they're going to do with Beckham. This is more than how he fits into any offense. His overall worth to a team. We know that. That's why the Giants can get value. I mean, you can use this as an argument as to why the Giants would keep him, but you could also use it as an argument to why the Giants want two first-round picks for him. And if I'm thinking about keeping him and paying him, I don't want Mike Shula saying this stuff because then it becomes part part of the leverage that gets used against you when Beckham says, see, I told you I was worth $20 million a year. Now, people are pointing to April 9, the start of the Giants' offseason program, as some date of significance. Do we really think Beckham's showing up for that? He didn't show up for voluntary off-season workouts last year. He showed up for the mandatory minicamp and then showed up for training camp. This year, I'd be shocked if he shows up for anything until he gets his new contract. So with the Rams out of the mix, I keep pointing to the 49ers and the Chargers as teams that should be making a play for Beckham. 
The Chargers because L.A. The 49ers because the Rams. For football reasons, as it relates to the Rams. For the Chargers, it's business reasons as it relates to the Rams because the Rams are running away with the market. Remember, right now, the Rams and the Chargers are trying to get people to buy PSLs. You know, PSLs, the things you have to buy up front before you can buy season tickets. See, you can't just say, well, I'll buy Rams season tickets this year because I think they're going to be good. Next year, if the Chargers look like they're going to be good, I'll get Chargers season tickets. Let's just go every other year. No. you got to get the PSL if you want season tickets. And then you got to keep buying the season tickets or you lose the PSL. Now, you can sell the PSL, I think, and it's just a pain in the ass. That's one of the benefits of the PSL. Once somebody has plunked down the money for the right to buy season tickets, they're going to keep buying season tickets. So you're picking a horse now. You're not making a tentative decision that's going to get changed next year and maybe changed back the year after. This isn't Brett Favre retirement. This is permanent. This is buying luggage. Although that's not as permanent as it used to be, especially when they bust your luggage and you have to buy some stupid-ass Mickey Mouse luggage in Orlando so you can get home. Anyway, I digress as I often do. What Shula said about Beckham doesn't mean they're keeping him. I think that once... The report came out from ESPN that the Giants won at least two first-round picks for Beckham, and they didn't shout it down right out of the gates. That tells me that they want to explore this fully and completely, and it's hard to reconcile that with them making him the highest-paid receiver in the game and making a long-term commitment that they're happy about. Peter King had an interesting comment in his SI.com Wednesday column about George Young, the late Giants GM, who said, essentially, and I don't have it in front of me, but a lot of times things get said in March that are meaningless come September. So there's that as well. This could all blow over. Although, it felt calculated last week. It felt deliberate last week, and it felt like the Giants were throwing the doors open to a trade of Odell Beckham Jr., which tells me if they don't do it this year, they'll do it next year when he's subject to the franchise tag. And at the latest, they'll do it the year after when he's being tagged for a second time. That news, I, of, all the, of all the potential outcomes, all the permutations, trade to the Chargers, trade to the 49ers, trade to the Patriots, which people are fascinated by, but I think is highly unlikely. Beckham stays with the Giants, goes year to year under the franchise tag, traded next year. We could lay out all of the various possible outcomes. Beckham signing a contract that pays him $20 million or more per year in the near future with the Giants, that seems like the least likely, which probably means it'll happen a few minutes after we finish taping today's edition of the PFTPM podcast. From the Patriots' perspective, the Brandon Cooks trade and the acquisition of the 23rd and 31st overall pick in the draft, along with a pair of second-rounders that they have, a third-rounder, and... A player like Rob Gronkowski, who in theory could be available to sweeten the pot, it's created speculation by some that the Patriots will now trade up and get one of the top quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen. I really do wish one of them would go by a different first name. The two Joshes, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield. It makes more sense, though, in light of Bill Belichick's history, to think that he would stand pat that he won't trade up. Maybe if Lamar Jackson 
squirts through the top 10, as he likely will, and he's there 15, maybe if the Cardinals don't take him at 15, maybe the Patriots would move up a little bit, or maybe they just decide, you know what, if he's there at 23, we take him. If he's not, we'll take one of the second-tier guys in round two, or maybe at pick 31. There is value in taking a quarterback at pick 31 because then you have him for five years. If the Patriots had picked their potential successor to Tom Brady in 2014 in round one, they'd have been able to keep him for five years if they wanted to, and they wouldn't have had to trade him, and Garoppolo would still be there, and they could come up with a way to float Brady on an iceberg after this season. See, Brady's status continues to hover over the team in a very compelling way. I think both Tom Curran and Peter King mentioned on PFT Live today the fact that that Tom versus Time Facebook series in the last episode, Brady, and I probably should watch the last episode. Probably a good idea given that this is, you know, my job. Maybe I will. In the last episode, Brady seems philosophical and ambivalent and not the guy who's going to play until he's 45. And I'm a firm believer that this whole play till I'm 45 routine is about ensuring that there won't be a Derek Jeter style farewell tour, that Brady doesn't want that. It's about the team. And I also think that Brady is keenly aware of the fact that when he is overly emotional, he doesn't perform as well. He has to be robotic the way that the Patriots prefer their players to be in order to be at the highest possible level of personal achievement. If he's too emotional, you have to be somewhat emotional. It can't be a complete robot. It's an emotional, physical sport. But if you're too emotional, it can be a detriment. I don't think he wants that. Last time doing this, last time doing that, last time here, last time there. No. You determine it's the last time after all the last times have happened. And then you walk away. Patriots have to be ready for that. Brian Hoyer is going to be the starter. Tom Curran threw a little curveball today, mentioning Johnny Manziel as a possibility. You know, that's percolated. When he had his 17th Pro Day workout this cycle, Texas A&M, oh, they, they met with him before and they met with him after. Oh, boy, they really are serious about Johnny Manziel. But Curran seems to think there's something there. And Curran pointed to that scouting report that was leaked by the Patriots. By somebody with the Patriots. Remember that the theory was that Mike Lombardi had been fired by the Browns. What was it? Was it after the draft that it leaked? I think it leaked after the draft. The thinking was Lombardi was working for the Patriots. He'd been fired by the Browns. And this was his way of making the Browns look bad. By leaking the Patriots scouting report on Manziel. To make the Browns look like idiots for drafting Manziel. And basically... And I'm sliding into third down territory here. Manziel said that today, that the Browns were idiots for trusting that he was actually going to be a responsible member of the organization. Here's the quote. And here's what happened. I saw the quote posted by Andrew Perloff, a.k.a. McLovin from the Dan Patrick Show, as Manziel was on the show saying what he said. Here's the quote that was posted. If Cleveland did any of their homework, they would have known I wasn't a guy who came in every day and watched film. I wasn't a guy who really knew the X's and O's of football. Now, I understand that over the course of the full 20 minutes, it was an introspective and 
not delusional Johnny Manziel, and he wasn't blaming everyone else in the world for his problems, and he seems to be taking ownership. And I listened to the whole thing. I wrote the item based upon the quote that was pushed to Twitter by one of the four guys in the room with Dan when he does these interviews. I didn't have it DVR'd. I wasn't watching it when he was on. And I went back after the fact and watched it. And, you know, people are saying, well, you took that quote out of context. No, you didn't take it out. It wasn't. No, it's there's a difference between isolating a quote and taking it out of context. Taking it out of context means that you are selecting words in a way that changes their meaning. When you take a quote out of context, and I used to do this all the time because it seems like people don't understand what taking out of context means. Taking it out of context means repeating words that someone used, but using those words in a way where they mean something different in that other context. You've taken my words out of context. I used to have an example that I'd use all the time, and I can't remember what it is. With Manziel's comments today, the rest of it can be completely self-aware and impressive. Everything that he said, except that one sentence, can be absolutely spot on. Great comment. Great improvement. But all it takes is one quote to give somebody reason to say, does this guy really get it? If Cleveland did any of their homework, they would have known I wasn't a guy who came in every day and watched film. Here's why that's a problem. First of all, he's suggesting that the Browns didn't know what the hell they were doing. And second of all, we have to go back to the context that we were residing in early 2014. January, February, March, April. That's when Manziel was getting ready for the draft. And that's when Manziel, through his camp, was trying to create the perception that he was fully committed to football, fully and completely and totally committed to football. You know, a lot of these guys who are entering the draft will go to the Super Bowl and spend the week there ahead of time and make a good amount of money doing radio shows, TV shows, sponsoring some product, whatever it is that they're selling. I remember we had Jared Goff before he was the first overall pick in the draft. He came through in San Francisco. He had a Gatorade bottle. He squirted Gatorade, almost got all over me. Had some kind of pod thing that he had to pop down in there. But that was when I met Jared Goff. And what a difference between that year and this year. You can tell there's a there's a different vibe there. And it was just a neat context to get to know a guy before he's drafted by anyone. Manziel didn't do that. Could have made some money. Would have been, as you can imagine... A, a very popular figure, if he had done that, he chose not to do it. And that continued up until the draft. He's all about football. He's all about football. I kept trying to get him on my radio show. No, he's not doing any of that. He's all about football. He's studying his playbook. What playbook? He doesn't have a team. He's all about football. It was so bad that when he went to Oregon to the Nike facility in February of 2014, that was a big deal because that was a departure from all about football, all about football, 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 full commitment to football. The message is you draft me and I'm fully committed to football. Remember he showed up for his pro day workout in a helmet and shoulder pads. All about football. I'm committed to football. So the idea that he would say now that if Cleveland did their homework, they would have realized that I wasn't fully committed 
to football from the standpoint of being a student of the game, watching film. What do you think he would have said four years ago if the Browns said to him, hey, Johnny, if we draft you, are you going to study? Yes, I am. Are you going to watch film? Yes, I am. I'll watch film right now. Show me some film. Give me a playbook. I'll do it. I'm all about football. That's why they call me Johnny Football, because I'm all about football, 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 football. That's what he would have said. So this idea that the Browns, now now we can only assume, I mean, without access to the tapes of the meetings, we can only assume that when they met with Johnny Manziel, he said everything that they wanted to hear. So did the Browns screw up? Well, hell yeah, we know that. But come on, Johnny, you were part of that. The plan was to make teams think he was fully committed to all things football. And it worked. Now it's the Browns' fault that he was able to fool them. And also, throughout the rest of the interview, not all of it, but in the rest of the context when he's talking about how the Browns screwed this up by trusting him, he, he acts like he didn't know what it, took, what it meant to be fully committed to football. Are you kidding me? How can you not know what it takes to be fully committed to football? How can you not have an appreciation that being fully committed to football at the NFL level means working hard, studying film? Sure, it's, it's like, well, you know, I just showed up in Cleveland as this lump of clay and it was up to them to mold me. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I need someone to tell me what to do. Give me a break. And look, I'm rooting for this guy to be successful. I want him to do well in the spring league. I want him to get signed by an NFL team. I think the NFL is more exciting if he's in it. But I don't want volume three of the Manziel train wreck that he eventually dupes someone else into bringing him back. Wouldn't it be great five years from now? Like, well, they should have they should have done their homework and realized he wasn't fully committed. That's on them. Shame on you for stepping foot into the trap. You saw the cheese was there. You should have seen that that big piece of wire on the spring was going to break your neck. Shame on you for not realizing that you were stepping right into it. I mean, come on. He didn't have a quarterback there to show him what he needed to do. You have access. When you're represented by an agency, they represent other I, I, I assume that the firm that represented him, and I, I look, I, I may have this backward, and there may have been some movements in the agent industry, but it's highly possible that Johnny Manziel was represented by the same firm as Josh McCown before the 2014 draft. And, you know, it was McCown in 2015 when he came to Cleveland that took Manziel under his wing. Well, there were other people that could have taken Manziel under his wing. That happens all the time. Instead, he had LeBron James take Manziel under his wing. What the hell is LeBron James going to tell him about getting ready for the NFL? So a lot of this was Manziel choosing a certain path and knowing, or at least he should have known, what it meant to be a successful NFL player. So I, I would... I would prefer, if he's going to be introspective and self-aware, that he just say, look, I'm a dumb kid. I was a dumb kid. I wanted to get drunk. I wanted to get high. I wanted a party. And I've matured. I'm older now. I'm past those days. And I knew that I had to be fully committed to football. And I tried to be. 
but I just wasn't because I would rather go out and have a good time. Case in point, when the Browns were considering making him the starter, Tuesday night, off day, he went to the Cavaliers game. He didn't study. Just say I was young, I was dumb, I thought I could get by on my ability, and now I know that was wrong. This other stuff, it, it doesn't lead me to believe that he's different. It doesn't lead me to believe that he's changed. It leads me to believe that he keeps looking for excuses. And I just wonder if he's given the chance again. And that's what any team that signs him to an NFL roster is going to have to ask itself. If we give this guy a chance again, what's he going to be? What's he going to do? And I wouldn't trust him. I'm rooting for him. But if I was the one making the call, I wouldn't trust him, especially now that I know there's a risk that if I trust him and it blows up, he's going to be saying on Dan Patrick's show in a couple of years, well, if Florio had done his homework, he'd know that I was full of crap because I was full of crap before with the Browns, twice. Whether it was commitment to football or commitment to sobriety, I was lying and they should have known I was lying and shame on them for listening to me and taking my word for the fact that I was fully committed to sobriety and to football. RG3, guy who ended up playing in Cleveland after the Johnny Manziel experiment, but getting injured in his first game. And, uh, God, with RG3, the fatal flaw is he just doesn't know how to protect himself. And there was so much talk about RG3 taking unnecessary hits. It continued to plague him. And remember last year? There was that one incident, I think it was during the offseason program, where he fired a football like over the fence into someone's yard because they were drilling him on the importance of throwing the ball away so he doesn't take a hit. All the things that they could possibly do to keep this guy healthy. And what happened? First game of the year, the testosterone takes over. He drops his shoulder into an Eagles player's chest and comes away with a shoulder injury that derails his season with Cleveland. Now RG3 is back with the Ravens. And I'm fascinated by that one. Because the Ravens currently, I don't think, are happy with Joe Flacco. I haven't heard that. I'm not reporting that. But when you look at the mess that the Ravens have made for themselves. Now, look, they won a Super Bowl, right? But for the Ravens, they got the one thing everyone wants. It's like buying a house you can't afford. They bought a house they can't afford back in 2012 when they won the Super Bowl. And they've been paying off that house ever since. And it started with giving Flacco a ridiculous contract in lieu of applying the exclusive version of the franchise tag. Because back in early 2013, the thinking was, if the Ravens had gone non-exclusive franchise tag on Flacco, someone like the Browns would have signed him to an offer sheet that the Ravens couldn't match. And the Ravens would have been relegated to two first-round draft picks as compensation. And they would have lost the defending Super Bowl MVP and their fans would have lost their minds. So they did the initial contract in 2013 that was backloaded from a cap standpoint to the extent where they had to redo it in 2016. And now, 2018, cap charge of $24.75 million. If they move him, it's $28.75 million. Now they could split it over two years by cutting him with a post-June 1 designation. But it would still be $12.75 million this year and $16 million next year, and they're not in a position to do it. So Flacco is their guy 
by default. Flacco is their guy because of the contract that they gave him five years ago, even though they, if they were attached to a lie detector machine, would possibly say, we wish we could get out of this. So now RG3 becomes the guy who, I don't know, would they bench Flacco at some point if it goes sideways this year? It's only a one-year deal. They don't have any commitment to Griffin beyond this season. He has no commitment to them. But I think we're moving toward the post-Flacco era in Baltimore. They could draft a guy. Last year, they were interested in Griffin at about the time that Flacco was having back issues early in training camp. Griffin wasn't interested. I think Griffin was holding out hope to actually go somewhere and play. Now, with his opportunities to go somewhere and play gone, he's got to go somewhere where he can be the backup. And I just feel like something's going on with the Ravens and Flacco. Next year, the total cap consequence would be $16 million, could be spread over two years, $8 million in 2019, $8 million in 2020. His cap number goes up next year from $24.75 million to $26.5 million. And his salary spikes from $12 million to $18.5 million next year. This may be Flacco's last year in Baltimore. And whether they decide that they have reclaimed the career of RG3 and they're going to have a great second act for a guy who isn't 30 yet, or they draft someone this year, or they draft someone next year, or they sign a free agent. I'm getting the feeling that this is Flacco's last year, or very well could be his last year. One guy who may be available when the Ravens draft, Lamar Jackson, the Louisville quarterback. I saw this tweet today, and I want to find it. I retweeted it. And and it is an example of the tangible impact of not having an agent. Michael Robinson, a guy who was a great NFL fullback, a former Penn State quarterback, a guy who does great work with NFL Network, a guy I just genuinely really, really, really like. Ran into him last week at the league meeting. He tweeted this four hours ago. Can someone please tell Lamar Jackson to get with me? There are a number of pro and ex-quarterbacks with your skill set trying to get in contact with you, all caps, with you, to help you. Hit me back. There are guys that have gone through what you're going through now. Twitter helped me out. So I retweeted it without commentary. Here's the commentary. If you have an agent, it's a hell of a lot easier to track a guy down. If you have an agent, people know who to call whether it's Michael Vick or anybody else who has a similar skill set. And Michael Vick has been praising Lamar Jackson. And wouldn't you want... I mean, look, this is case in point. And I didn't intend to connect this, but go back to Johnny Manziel four years ago. Try to understand now what you're getting yourself into. Try to understand now what it takes to prepare to be an effective NFL quarterback. I know it's easy to negotiate a rookie contract. It's not easy to negotiate life as an NFL rookie. You get yourself a good agent, that person can help you. Lamar Jackson's mother has no idea what Lamar Jackson is going to be dealing with as a rookie in the NFL. And Lamar Jackson's mother doesn't have the network in place to help Lamar Jackson properly prepare. And there's a lot of guys out there that are just willing to help. They're paying it forward. They're not looking to get paid to do it. I don't think Mike Vick wants a check from Lamar Jackson. He just wants to help the guy. Help him avoid the pitfalls. Help him be better prepared. How many times do we hear guys say, man, if I had only known this, that, or the other thing, I'd have been so much better right out of the gates. Well, Lamar Jackson has an opportunity 
But because he wants to save 1%, 2%, 3%, he's missing out on this and so many other things that go along with having a good agent. And again, I continue to believe having no agent is better than having a bad agent, but having a good agent is much better than having no agent. And this is another reason for it. Oh, Florian's just trying to help his friends in the agent community. Look, I don't know what I have to say to get people to realize I'm trying to help the players get better service, to get better help. This is a prime example of how you get better help. It's not a zero-sum game. Every dollar that an agent makes is not a dollar out of the pocket of the client if the agent is in position to get the client more. R Richard Sherman didn't need all that much more from his 49ers contract, you know, the one that had to be renegotiated because the NFLPA said, my God, this, this term in here about when you get your $2 million roster bonus three days into training camp, let's push this back to November so we know you're going to get it. You don't have to get a lot more with the help of an agent to justify the agent fee. So it's sad. There's also some comments floating around. I'm going to write something about this at PFT. Both Terrell Owens and Dwayne Brown had some thoughts on the nitpicking of Lamar Jackson. And look, I don't care who the player is. If the player decides to go without an agent, I'm going to speak my mind. I don't believe he should move to receiver. We've been at the forefront of pushing back against Bill Polian. Terrell Owens tees off on Bill Polian because Polian's one of the guys that was trying to blackball Owens out of the Hall of Fame. Like, like because Polian's in, he's a gatekeeper now. And he didn't want Terrell Owens in there. They're suggesting there's a racial component, at a minimum, the elephant in the room when it comes to Lamar Jackson's criticism. And, you know, a point that others have made. No one's saying Josh Allen should be a tight end. Now, I don't want to boil everything down to race because people were saying Tim Tebow should move to a different position. But that was after Tim Tebow had come to the NFL and we had seen that there were real limitations on his passing abilities. We don't know that yet with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was a great runner and passer at Louisville. He was actually better in 2017 than he was in 2016 when he was the runaway winner of the Heisman Trophy. It's just that the rest of his team stunk last year, all due respect, at least collectively stunk to the point where, you know, Heisman Trophy is like the best player on the best team, relatively speaking. You have to be far and away dominant and above everyone else to be the Heisman Trophy winner if you're not on a great team. I think like Paul Horning was one of the only ones who was the Heisman Trophy winner from a team with a losing record back in the 60s. 50s, whenever that was. For some reason, that's sticking in my brain. Maybe that's changed since then. But typically, you're a great player coming from a great team. And if your team's not great, you ain't winning the Heisman. So it's possible if the team around him would have been great, Lamar Jackson would have been a two-time Heisman Trophy winner. So I just hope he's as prepared as he can be for the NFL, and I'm concerned he won't be because of this whole let's nickel and dime, let's save a few percentage points because this is easy. It's not easy. And I think the problem is, you know, you get ego tied up and you get pride tied up in it. And instead of admitting, you know what, maybe we made a mistake, let's hire an agent. I think the thinking is, let's put our heads down and just get through this. And let's just see where we get drafted and then submit to the new team and take it from there. All right. That's five down territory. Let's see what kind of questions we got today. Some days I try to answer them all. I'm, I'm trying to strike the right balance between giving you content and just answering questions one after the other. And I don't read the questions in advance. See, I got 50 today. 
Yeah, man. All right, let's see what we got. At Terry Gensler with stats making fantasy baseball trades instead of posting yesterday's podcast. Please continue to give stats a hard time for not posting yesterday's podcast because it bothers him. And he's yet to figure out after dealing with me for three and a half years now that if he acts like something bothers him, I will continue to give him a hard time about it. I mean, that is just basic human nature, isn't it? Any interaction you have with somebody, if you're busting their chops about something, if they act like it bothers them, you're going to continue. Like, he got pissed last week when he started cutting up his pancakes like Dwight Schrute meeting with Jan, trying to take over the office. Remember that? And he was cutting up the pancakes, and he was very intense. Cuts, uh, Stats is cutting up his, I should call him Cuts. Stats is cutting up his pancakes, and Chris Sims is sitting to my right, Matt Casey to my left. Stats is across from me. It's like, what the hell are you doing? Are, are you? Are, is your son here? And then Chris Sims started giving him a hard time, and he just got very upset. Like, usually he takes it well when you bust his balls. He understands it's part of the shtick. It's part of the fun we have. It's guys hanging out, busting each other's balls. He got very upset, which told me, man, this is a sore point for him, and keep pressing at it. So keep pressing at stats failing to post the podcast yesterday. It definitely bothers him. At Leapers 500, this one seems deep. Let's try this one. Would it be fair to characterize your attitude toward the employment system of the NFL thusly? The owners pretend to be in a laissez-faire market system, champions of industry, but they are really a cartel that socializes their profit and transfers the risk mostly to the players. I don't know. Here's what I think. I think the NFL is 32 competing businesses ostensibly that realize that collectively they are far better equipped to make a shitload of money than if they truly compete with each other. Because if truly compete with each other, they don't have a salary cap. If they truly compete with each other, they don't have a draft. If they truly compete with each other, it's every team for itself. And you pay what you want to pay. But because they share revenue, and that was really the key for the NFL, when they decided to share TV revenues, and when teams like the Giants, who would have made much more money with their own TV deals. When they decided to share TV revenue, that's when it became, I don't know the cartel is the right word, but it's 32 businesses that only compete to an extent. And collusion is rampant throughout the NFL. And I know people think there's some magical meaning to the word collusion. There isn't. It's just a group of businesses that otherwise should be making their own decisions with no guidance, with no collective effort, to do anything other than make the most possible money and win the most possible games and every team for itself, anytime there's coordination, that's when collusion happens. And I think there's a lot of collusion. And the NFL is a very, very unique entity. And I think that if the NFL were starting today, it would do what these other leagues are doing whether it's the XFL or the Alliance of American Football or any other sports league that may pop up. I think the MLS does this. I'm sure the MLS does it. It's one integrated entity. Then you can't have collusion. You're colluding with yourself. That was why the American Needle lawsuit, if you remember that from 2009, 2010, the case that went to the U.S. Supreme Court involving the question of whether or not the NFL is a single entity or 32 separate businesses, the NFL lost that. The NFL wanted to make the legal argument, and did, but just didn't successfully make it, that it's one integrated entity. It's not. 
It's 32 separate businesses. So they found a way to have competing businesses that work together for their mutual benefit. And the physical risk definitely is on the players. I mean, the problem is this. I mean, you can say, hey, we're, we're sharing the revenues 50-50, and that looks good. The problem is the players have 0% of the equity. The owners have all the equity, and they're sharing the revenue. So the equity continues to, number one, be held by the owners, and number two, appreciate in value every year as the revenue goes 50-50. The players get their paychecks and their bonuses and whatever else they can make while they're playing. That's why I'm a firm believer, especially now that we know how much physical risk the players take. Get everything you can. But as fans, we're so conditioned to side with the team. I think as fans, we just don't want drama. We don't want discord. And we understand, as fans, that we're going to be fans of the team long after every individual player on the team is gone. Our loyalty is to the team, not to the player. So, when there's a problem between player and team, as fans, the inclination is to side with the team. And I think few fans take the step back and say, wait a minute, what are we really doing here? We're siding with the billionaires in a business dispute. And the billionaires are still going to be billionaires. But these guys who are out there playing, entertaining us, taking serious physical risks to do so, they're getting the short end of it. We want them to get the short end of it. We want them to cave. We want them to abandon their holdout. We want them to quit asking for $20 million a year. We want them to quit being so damn greedy. How much money is enough? Don't you have enough? Why does no one ever ask that question of the billionaires who keep making more and more billions? It's a weird dynamic, man. Very weird dynamic. At Big Blue Thoughts, when is the schedule going to be released? Love the PFTPM podcast. Thank you very much for that. I didn't need to repeat that, but I, I chose to. The schedule, I believe, my prediction is, will be released. Hmm. I'm going to say April 17, or I was going to say April 17, but but my 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 phone tells me that's tax day. I'm going to go with April 18. April 18, my mom's birthday. That is the date on which I predict the schedule will be released. Eight days before the draft. It always comes out before the draft. Watch, this year something will happen and it won't come out before the draft. But in theory, they want the teams to be aware of when they play who because in some weird, bizarre way, you may be inclined to adjust your draft strategy based upon when you are facing a certain opponent. So they they try to get all this done ahead of time. At Icaro Franco, do you think last year's comments from John Mara about receiving email complaints about Colin Kaepernick was some sort of message from the chairman of the NFL's executive committee to the owners? Yes, yes, it was. That was part of what we know about. I think there are text messages and emails that make it even more clear that the league office, the management council, the executive committee, the league office working together communicated to the various teams what the league's policy was. This isn't 32 owners sitting around a big table with scotch and cigars coming up with secret agreements. This is the league office being the conduit as to what is and what isn't good for business. And I think John Mara's comments were part of that. At the Impact 99, do you believe that the Matt Ryan deal hit a snag because Arthur Blank and Matt Ryan are playing hardball toward each other? No, and I don't think they've hit a snag. I think the reality is this. Matt Ryan has one year left on his contract and two more years under the franchise tag before he'd be in the same posture that Kirk Cousins was in when Cousins got $28 million a year. 
And I know this came up last year when Malcolm Butler was trying to get paid by the Patriots or by the Saints. Remember, at one point, the Patriots were going to trade Butler to the Saints, and Butler wanted a new contract. And I remember hearing at the time the problem was Butler wanted to get market value. And Butler needed to understand you don't get market value unless you're on the market. And Dominican Sue wouldn't have got $20 million a year over the first three years of his contract with the Dolphins if he wasn't on the open market. You have to be on the open market. And I think Aaron Donald is going through that with the Rams. I think that's one of the reasons why he doesn't have a deal. Because it's one thing to say we'll give you a new deal. It's another thing to say we will give you the kind of deal that you would get if you were on the open market and we had to compete with several other teams to keep you. So Matt Ryan, I think, is in that same boat. Because when you look at the numbers, and I I ran the numbers, I don't know the three individual components, but if we look at this year, next year, and the following year, final year of his contract this year, franchise tag next year, second franchise tag in 2020, that's $76.4 million over three years. So under the formula that we we have cited in the past and that teams use for valuing contracts with the franchise tag looming, I think it would be fair to give Matt Ryan $76.4 million fully guaranteed at signing to cover the first three years of the deal. The problem is Cousins is getting $84 million. Ryan may say, well, I want $85 million. Well, the, here, Matt, here's the problem. We can go year to year over the next three years and you're getting $76.4 million. Why are we throwing another $9 million on top of it? And all Ryan can say is, well, I'll play year to year the next three years and then 2021 you're going to have to let me hit the open market and to that the Falcons may say well go ahead you'll be 35 by then at Ray Moon 0319 what are the chances the Cowboys keep Dez at this point I, I don't know I don't know they're, they're, they're kicking this can for some reason right they, they don't have a number one receiver they're paying Bryant like he is a number one receiver at some point I think they're going to put the squeeze on him to take less money And I think he probably will, although it may be in his interest to say, I'm leaving because someone else will treat me like a number one receiver. Someone else will have a quarterback who will actually throw me the football, even if it looks like I'm not open because Des Bryant, it looks like he's not open, but he is open because he can go up and get the ball in those 50-50 scenarios. So I think they're going to try to keep him at significantly less money than what they're due to pay him. They have to be ready, though, for Des to call their bluff. That's the problem. Now, maybe they're going to wait until they get a bird in the hand via the draft. With the offseason program coming, they run the risk that he suffers a fluke injury, tears an Achilles tendon. Remember that happened? Didn't that happen to Michael Crabtree one year, 2013 with the 49ers, at these offseason workouts? There's still physical risk. Fluke tear of an ACL, fluke rupture of an Achilles tendon, and they owe him $12.5 million with a $16.5 million cap charge. I think the best move would be to get him to cut his pay down to $7 million tear up the last year of his contract. He becomes a free agent next year. He's got an incentive to go out and have a big year this year, and he can leave the Cowboys if he wants to next year and go to the highest bidder. That makes sense, but we'll see what happens. At the Impact 99, if you could only keep one, Stats on Fire or Chris Sims. Man, don't make me make that choice. I'd get rid of both of them. At Terry Gensler 14, do you think Belichick is trying to move up to draft Bradley Chubb? Remember, Chubb made Belichick crack a rare smile during a workout. Remember, yeah, and, and that's a good point. Belichick said, oh, you'll be long gone. You're long gone by the time we draft. I don't know. Does Belichick call Chris Ballard if Chubb is there at six and say, hey, Chris, you're trying to you're trying to replenish your roster. 20, I got 23, 31, two second round picks. What else you want? You replenish your roster. That could be a tough one. That could be a tough one. 
Good point, though. I may have to steal that and write about it. Very good. At Jacob Wilson 90, stats definitely didn't post yesterday's podcast. Thank you. Do you think Adrian Peterson will find a team? I think at some point he will. I think this year he's going to have to wait till somebody gets injured. That's what happened last year. The opportunity in Arizona arose, and he was able to get out of New Orleans. He should have waited last year. I think what happened was his ego was bruised because teams weren't lining up to pay him $10, $12, 15000000 million for last year. And the Saints had an idea that, you know, in theory it made sense. But then they got Alvin Kamara, and then it was time to actually execute the idea, and it was clear that Adrian Peterson wasn't going to be happy being a role player. And also, it was clear that Alvin Kamara was going to be damn good enough that you didn't need Adrian Peterson. I think he should wait until somebody, and we know it's going to happen, dislocated risk last year to David Johnson, torn ACLs happen, running back, you're going to get injured. Especially now that this helmet rule's in place, you're going to see more running backs get hit lower. And I think the running back injuries could increase at Charger 2443. Mike, Drew Brees, and I are looking for investment partners. Are you in? Well played. Although I saw that there was a statement today from Drew Brees that that made this whole thing really seem like a deliberate investment strategy. And hey, look, again, I don't got 15 million laying around to invest. So I don't know what the people who have millions and millions and millions do to invest. I don't know how you diversify your portfolio to include investment in jewelry. But the statement that we have posted at PFT, it, it makes it look like this wasn't just, hey, it's an investment you can wear. I'm going to go out and buy all this expensive jewelry, and we're going to wear it around, and we're going to sell it at some point. So that one should be interesting to see how it plays out. At Marty Sullivan, 92, I played rugby for eight years, and I rarely saw bad concussions. Could you see NFL coaches adopting a more rugby-style tackle in response to the new helmet rule where the head goes next to the hip and the tackler leads with the shoulder to contact the body and then wraps up? The Seahawks have done that. Other teams have done that. The problem is there are going to be times where you accidentally miss, right? You got to have great aim. And if you miss and the helmet hits the hip, now you're leading with your helmet. You're initiating contact with your helmet. You're using your helmet as a weapon. That's when you may get into trouble. Bill O'Brien gave me some clarity today. And it really did sound like based upon what O'Brien said, if this is the case, that they're trying to eliminate the instances where the helmet is used as a weapon. It may just be a handful of plays. He mentioned there were six or seven plays last year where the helmet was used as a weapon. Well, that's fine, but the way this rule's written, all running plays between the tackle box, that's that's going to be deemed potentially as a violation. We'll see where this all goes. At... Bosox fan, could you see the Broncos trading for Odell Beckham Jr.? Give up the fifth pick this year, first rounder in 2020. The Giants only asked for two first round picks. Doesn't mean it has to be back to back years. I don't know why they would do that. They got far bigger needs. And they have Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. And Beckham's going to want 20 million a year. Elway doesn't want to pay anybody 20 million a year. He's not paying his quarterback 20 million a year. At 10 Newkirk, do you think the Rams' free agency approach will end up with results more like San Francisco or Washington? And I assume that Thomas Newkirk is referring to the 94 49ers who bought a championship and the 2000 Washington franchise, which compiled a murderer's row of stars and failed to make it to the playoffs. I'm going to go closer to Washington than San Francisco. And look, I wish the Rams well. I think it's exciting. I think it's good for football. But I think they're doing it not necessarily to win, although everybody's going to say they want to win. What they want to do is sell those PSLs. They want to have excitement in L.A. And if you're going to be in L.A., 
and you're going to have a $5 billion stadium complex, and you're going to have another team in there with you, you better be an exciting team. It better be showtime. And they've already created that reality show vibe where we're sitting on the edge of our seats saying, what are the Rams going to do next? It's like following the White House all of a sudden. At Rob Foster 135, where would you rank Trubisky among quarterbacks in this year's draft? I I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. We've seen Trubisky play some in the NFL. These guys, we haven't seen him play. So it's too early to tell. At Leapers 500, what scared the competition committee and the owners so much that they secreted this dropping the head to initiate contact rule like a congressional pay increase? Yeah, I, I believe that they had a session last week that scared the shit out of the owners. And it probably had something to do with reduced participation in youth football. And we have to pass rules here at our level that will trickle down to youth football and save youth football. And MDS made a great observation last week on PFT Live that the NFL is caught between having safe practices at the youth level but sufficiently intense contact at the pro level. So on one hand, you'll let your kids play youth football. On the other hand, you and your kids and your family members will gather around the TV to want to watch football at the pro level. And the great example, karate. You don't send your kids to karate classes when they're small and assume they're going to be getting beat up by Kramer and getting kicked in the face. But if you tune into a mixed martial arts event, you want to see people get kicked in the face. That's part of the the risks that everyone takes. The NFL is trying to shepherd youth football down a safer path, and I don't know that the trickle-down approach is the right way to do it. At Sergio D, so the PM stands for probably, maybe. Hey, Sergio, let's get this right. The PFT PM podcast was posted yesterday. Stats failed to post the PFT Live podcast. Now, he's got no responsibility at all for PFT PM, which explains why PFT PM was indeed posted. At Thomas Berry, if Bradley Chubb and Quentin Nelson aren't available at 8, do the Bears try to move back? I think the real factor for the Bears, what quarterbacks are still there at number 8? Will Baker Mayfield still be there? Maybe you could squeeze the Dolphins. The Dolphins seem to be interested, even though they insist continuously that they're on the Ryan Tannehill train. What quarterback is there at eight? That's a big factor. And it could be, can we trade down for somebody who wants a quarterback? Do we stand pat and take Quentin Nelson or Bradley Chubb? It's all going to come down to the Bears' evaluation. At Thomas Berry, how have you not mentioned John Fox going to ESPN? What an electric factory that'll be. At Jim Thomas, 1991. No, Josh Thomas. J.M. Thomas. How do you maintain your job with the lazy and non-fact-based journalism that you do? I don't know, Josh. I just do. And I am lazy. I am very lazy. I appreciate the fact that you notice I'm lazy. Get up at 5 a.m. every day and work until I go to bed with a few breaks, you know, to eat and work out. But I am, I'm very very lazy. Thank you for noticing that I'm very lazy. Now, see, if someone would take that last line and use it elsewhere, that would be taking my comment out of context. Florio says he's lazy. At old shooter, Patriots trade Brady in a second round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. They should have just, you could argue, I'm not saying it. You could argue that they should have just traded Tom Brady when John Lynch called and said, hey, would you trade us Tom Brady? And it's funny because in the NBC viewing room, at one point I joked about the possibility of Tom Brady eventually being traded to the 49ers, and I took some grief for it. 
And man, I would have been I would have been thrilled if they traded Tom Brady to the 49ers only so I could go in and say, hey, suck it. At B Flow Show. Let's say Bill Belichick parlays two first round picks into Odell Beckham Jr. Could you see him taking a short term deal just to play with Brady, someone he is a huge fan of? I, but but why would you give up two first round picks for a guy that you only have for a short period of time? You're not going to give up two first round picks to have a receiver that you can team with Tom Brady for as long as Tom Brady's going to be on your team. I like the thinking, but I don't really you give up two first round picks for that. All right, I probably should wrap this up. Hey, 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 B Flow Faux Show. Building Legos with my dad. Some of my fondest memories. I hope your son feels the same way. Got the space needle on my desk now. That's a good looking space needle. I may have to buy the space needle. I, you know, my, my, my wife kind of gives me the side eye when I talk about how much I enjoy doing these Lego sets. There is something that is soothing about it. There's something about those, the way those pieces chunk together that just melts away the stress of the day. And, and I will admit, I don't know if I've already said this, but I'm not too too proud to admit that I bought the Ghostbusters Firehouse, which is this mega set. The box is very heavy. It's got like 4,900 pieces. My son and I, over the course of I don't know what period of time, we're going to build that damn thing. And then we got to figure out where we're going to put the damn thing. But for now, building the thing, when we have a chance to get together... If Harry Chapin had only done Legos with his kid, we never would have had cats in the cradle. That's all I got to say about that. All right, let me move on. Uh, um, at Adair07, what's your hunch on what Denver will do in the draft? Quarterback Nelson Chubb or trade back to acquire assets? I don't know. And I think they're keeping their options open. They're doing the work up on the quarterbacks. That doesn't mean they're going to take a quarterback. Remember this. If you're in a position where one of those quarterbacks is available at five, you're not trading the fifth overall pick if someone wants to trade up. You're trading the player. You have to think of it that way. Let's say Sam Darnold's there at five. And that's just the first name I thought of. Somebody wants to trade up and get Darnold. They're not trading up for the fifth spot. They're trading up for Darnold. So if you know as much as you can know about Darnold, you're in a better position to say, well, I think he's worth this. So I don't know what they're going to do. At go. Kupantera 101, would you play Madden against Belichick? If so, what team would you use? I'd want to use my ultimate team. My ultimate team's up to a 93. Bring it, Belichick. I got Deshaun Watson as a 95 at my quarterback. I picked up this Brian Dawkins for free over the weekend, 98. I, all my t- I don't pay for this. That's the problem with the ultimate team. They always are trying to get you to buy something. But they had some giveaway this weekend where you were able to pick one of the high-end ultimate legends I got this 98 Brian Dawkins that is shot out of a cannon. Oh, my gosh. I should just control him on every play. It's amazing. Although I have learned that they're even better when I'm not the one controlling them. Probably says something about me. But, yeah, I'd, I'd give me my ultimate team. Bill Belichick, anytime, any place. We can sit side by side. We can do it online. I will, I will challenge Bill Belichick to a game of Madden PS4. But I'll, go, I'll even go buy the Xbox if that's what it takes. If Belichick's an Xbox guy, I'll do it. Wouldn't that be funny if he secretly was? That would be great. All right. I, uh... Now let's try this one. I don't know. I should probably go. Let me see. Yeah. I'm trying to find one that would be like a good... You know, what's the, uh... The, uh... The, the Costanza you want to leave on a high note? I'm looking for one that I can leave on a high note with. And the, the more I look, the more pressure I feel to find... Uh, a good one. Here, here, here's this one. 
Are the middle fingers that Chris Sims gives you every morning intimidating or embarrassing? Now, they're amusing. It's a way to just kind of get in the moment. What happens is, I'll peel back the curtain just a little bit. Not that anybody gives a shit, but I sit where I'm sitting right now. I have what's called an ISDN line in my house. That is an ultra high-speed fancy phone line that makes it sound like I'm in a radio studio. I'm not. I'm sitting in my house. It's a box that everything plugs into, and I do the first three segments of PFT Live from this position because the first hour of the show is radio only. The final two hours are simulcast on NBCSN. So after the third segment, I go upstairs, and I do the fourth segment of the radio only hour at my TV position, and I can see Sims because he's ready to go at the top of the hour. And as soon as he sees me, he does the Bud Adams double-barreled middle finger. And he'll take a break from applying his makeup to do it. And yes, we both wear makeup. There's something about if you don't wear makeup, you get this shiny look on your forehead. And it's very distracting. And it looks like ass. It looks like, you know, your mom's basement local access. So while he's putting on his makeup, he'll see me and he'll, he'll do the double-barreled middle fingers. And actually, Stats did it today. In part because Sim's there, and in part because I kept blaming the PFT Live podcast not being posted yesterday on him. But it's not intimidating. It's not embarrassing. It's just funny. It's just it's something funny. And you know what? Maybe one of these days there will be a montage that appears of all the times Chris Sims gave me the double-barreled middle finger. Trust me, unedited, it would be an hour long by now. So, and 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 here's the here's the funny part. I don't know that I've mentioned this, but when we were at the Mall of America before the show one day, where we were positioned, we were at the edge of a cliff, really, that, that you could throw somebody over the edge and at 50 feet down to the next level of the mall. But like 100 yards away, maybe less, you could see where like other people were crossing over to another area. And he saw a couple of his friends from Bleacher Report. And we're out in the mall in the middle of the day, and he starts doing the Bud Adams double-barreled middle finger to them, and he's got this devilish smile on his face, and he turns while he's doing it, and there's two elderly folks standing there, and he just looks at him and says, oh, sorry, those are friends of mine. And you could tell they're, they're like, how does he treat his enemies? So anyway, I don't know how high of a note that is, but that's it for me. We'll do it again Friday. I'm going to take Thursday off. We'll do the PFT PM podcast on Friday, PFT Live tomorrow, Chris Sims in studio for the final two hours. First hour on radio, final segment, double-barreled middle fingers, PFT, around the clock, everything that's happening as we get closer and closer to the draft. We are now 22 days away. It's going to be here before you know it. Thanks for your time. Talk to you Friday. You can find the PFT PM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFT PM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. 
That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash.